Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Good morning. It's been a full morning so far. All right. Um, yeah, there's baptisms, there's singing and praising. You get to see, you know... Jay's back up on stage for the first time in months. Sorry, I don't want to draw attention to him, but at the same time, it's I want to celebrate that. Yeah, it's really nice to see. Um, it's nice to see God moving, right? Does the presence of God ever move us? Does it ever move us? Are you in, moved in such a way that you just really don't care who's watching, who's around you? Are you going to sing? Are you going to clap? Are you going to play an instrument? Are you going to pray in front of people? Or just hold, hold, hold on to your seats? Are you even going to dance like you just don't care? Yeah. This is a great morning to be talking about God's presence. Like, we're, again, we, we just witnessed two baptisms on screen, and we're going to be having um, seven more down at the river. This is God's presence moving. This is like the epitome of that because it's moving in their lives in such a way that they want to declare to all those who are around them that I am following Jesus for all of my life to the best of my ability and as he enables me to do so. Thank you. I can always count on either Laura or Shay to give me a woohoo or a clap or you got this. So thank you. Um, actually, yesterday, I was Shay's cheerleader. We went down the river as, as a youth group. It was the longest river run we've ever done. Josh said it was two hours. He lied. It was four. Um, but <laughs> yesterday, I was Shay's cheerleader. She was like, I'm not here for a walk. I'm here to float down the river. And there was more walking than river floating. I'll just let you in on that little secret there. Um, but anyway... We got ourselves back, and we, we made it all back, all together, all in one piece. So it was a good river run. Um, but yeah, we're celebrating baptisms. We're celebrating the time down at the river. And um, if you ex- truly experience God, the creator, in our lives, we just can't help to be in awe and in reverence of our creator. It's kind of like that time when you take like that first bite of like your favorite food, Come on, taco lovers, you know what I'm talking about, that favorite food. Like, if you haven't had a taco, like, like you haven't had a taco, Esther, right? If you haven't been to Mexico and had a taco, like, come on, they're good. But, um, or that, that, that first time when you hit a home run, or you get your first goal, or you got 100 on that assignment, that major assignment, that feeling when you say, I do, and, I, and you announce your love to your spouse on the altar. You wrap all those feelings into one, and it still doesn't compare to how God moves in your life. Think of all those things. Think of the first time you got a, you know, you did well in sports, you did well in school, you know, um, your first bite of your favorite food. You wrap all those feelings, and it still doesn't compare. 
God's presence is like none other. Yet we seem to put extras on the things that God deems good. We can't, you know, just take in that joy and that excitement and that clapping. We have to add extras. We we can't seem to show our joy. We can't seem to show our excitement. We can't seem to sing in front of the other people because we're afraid of what we might sound like or look like. We can't express our worship by raising our hands or can't express our worship by clapping because we're afraid of what it might look like. So as we jump into our message, I'm going to get you guys to use whatever you're using to follow along in Scripture, whether you have a physical Bible or or a tablet or a phone or whatever. But we're going to turn to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 6. Um, There you will see King David experience joy and tragedy in the same chapter. But no matter what David was experiencing, God was still present and moved in his life. So how is God's presence moving in your life? Let's have just a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit come down. We ask that you move us today. Father, as as we experienced um, song and we experienced as celebrations, and Father, the, the celebrations that are yet to come, and, and Father, as we experience your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit be here and dwell in this place. Father, I, I just ask that um, we experience who you are in your fullness. Father, I just ask that uh, for those who are here in the room and those who are online, God, I pray that our hearts be changed. I pray that we don't leave the same way as we walked in here today. I pray that, um, God, that, that your spirit just burn a little bit brighter each and every one of us. So, Father, we just ask that you be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read out of 2 Samuel 6, verses 1 to 2. I hope you are all there. If, you're, if not, you can watch on the screen, and it'll be there, and it'll be right about here on, online. It's like right about here, just right like Yeah, I seen it. Okay. Anyway, you can keep reading. Um, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from uh, there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord, host who sits enthroned on the cherubim. So let's set the stage for 2 Samuel 6. Uh, David has become king. So the little shepherd boy who defeated Goliath had the sling and the stone, that David. He became king of the nation of Israel. And he's, he's in the city of Jerusalem, which was previously held by the Jebusites. They've taken control and he's brought it back. And now he wants to set the city of Jerusalem as his capital. So this is going to be his area where he's going to be, the, like that's his political area of power. And um, because previously David ruled out of uh, Hebron, but Hebron was just south of Judea, uh, on the south hills of the hill country, which was not an ideal capital. 
So David took his army up to Jerusalem and set it up as his capital, as his capital to reign. Now, David made this his place of rule, but he also wanted the Ark there, the Ark of the Covenant, because he wanted to set up that as his permanent place of rest. He wanted there for the Ark to rest. And you might be wondering, like, why is this Ark so important? What is the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant is a box, and I'm, I'm downplaying it right now, so don't shoot me from up here, because um, there's a point. Uh, three and three-quarter inch, or three feet by three-quarter inch, three, excuse me, let me redo that, three and three-quarters of a foot by two and a quarter foot by two and a quarter foot box made of um, Aisha wood, covered in gold, and had two cherubims. So cherubims were like these winged creatures, and each winged creature had their wings spread out facing each other. So the, their wings were outspread, so that they made, and they made this box. Why was it important? It sounded kind of like just a box or like a fancy footstool or, or something that was just like a small chest. So why was David so attracted to this? Like, was it like a piece of ancient furniture or was it like something his dad made that held some important things? Like, you know, maybe it held his favorite Indiana Jones movies. I don't know. But um, I know some of you might not be getting that, but ask your parents. Um, on the contrary, the Ark of the Covenant identified with God or Yahweh's presence. In the book of Exodus 25, 16, the Lord gave Moses instructions on how to build the Ark. And the Lord said to Moses, and you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you, and you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. So we're going to skip ahead to verse 22. And there I will meet you, and from above, the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the, of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. The ark was made as like a mobile shrine to God because the people of Israel have just been set free and they needed a place to worship God. So this was their mobile shrine. And it was so, it was so closely related to God that um, it was identified with his presence that when they set out, when they set out and they carried it for the day, um, you would uh, hear Moses say, advance, O Lord, when the ark was put down in the spot where they're going to camp for the night, he, Moses would say, return, O Lord. So it was, it was that box that was so important that it, it identified, they identified that with, with, uh, with God. So you can imagine how important this was to the Israelites and how important it was to David to have that and the contents of the box to be back with them in Jerusalem. And it was thought that the ark actually contained the tablets that um, had the commandments, the commandments written on, the Ten Commandments written on. So for all you Gen Zers, tablets are not this thing. It's not the digital thing that you can play and watch Netflix on. It, it was actually things of stone 
that he etched in the commandments on. So yes, it was actually written in stone. So we are starting to see why this was so important. Not only was it a mobile shrine, but as we read in Exodus 25, we notice that the ark was also a place where Moses was to communicate with God and provide any additional instruction to Israel. The ark was also to be carried by Levites on poles. There were golden poles that were fastened to the side of the ark. And Moses was given instructions for every aspect of this ark, to care for the ark, for warning. Um, the warning was so strong that they said, if you touch it, they will die. Now we know a little bit about this ark. Now we need to know what happened. So in 1 Samuel chapter, or yeah, 1 Samuel chapter 4, um, the ark was taken during a battle with the Philistines. We see Israel was so arrogant with the ark, they got so comfortable with it that they brought it into battle. And they said, ha, our God's going to take care of you guys. And God allowed it to be taken and be removed from them because they became arrogant with it. But it was in seven short months from the Philistines taking this ark, taking it away from Israel, that without an army, God himself smashed the figure of their God, Dagon, riddled the Philistines with the plagues, drove out so much fear amongst the Philistines that they were like, we need to get this thing out of here. So the Philistines loaded the ark onto a cart, strapped two cows to it, and then sent it back home. Because they're like, we don't want any more of this. There were plagues, there was things that were happening that like their, their God was smashed and bowing down to the ark. There were so many things that happening that just drove so much fear into the, into the Philistines. They're like, get it, get it out of here. What happened next is, is believed that as the, the cart was coming back with the ark on it, that some of the, the men where, who uh, received it and Beth Shemesh, uh, about 70 of them decided, I really wonder if this is the ark and I really, I kind of want to see what's inside it. And the ark struck 70 men dead. So since their celebration at Beth Shemesh kind of got cut short because now they're freaked out. They're like, what did we do? And it's, it's, it gives us an idea of like how holy and how powerful God is. No one wanted to mess with this ark. So they stored it in Karath Jerim. And 1 Samuel 7 reads, And the men of Karath Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they constricted his son, Eleazar, to have charge of the Ark of the Lord. And that's where they stayed for about 20 years. So now you can see the whole significance of the Ark and why it was so important. And the making this trip, David making this trip to Jerusalem, making the Ark go to Jerusalem was so important. This was David's attempt 
to make Jerusalem not only the political center of his reign, but also the spiritual one as well. He wanted Jerusalem to be that fulcrum, the focal point where everybody comes, whether it was for political or spiritual, but this was his place. So you can imagine the party that's happening in, in Kareth Jerem when they go and they take 30,000 of the coolest dudes to go down and grab this ark. Because they want this to come back to Jerusalem. You, can you imagine what it would be like to like meet up with your long lost friend from like 20 years ago? Like you had a friend, really good friend, 20 years later, you reunite and it's like all oh, like fireworks and parties and all that kind of stuff, right? Well, as you know, you guys knew we had like an international student this past year and that was cool. But the, the really cool part was um, April was friends with his mom back in 1998. Some of you weren't even born yet. But 1998, that's 24 years ago. And they met back, again, I'm sorry, April, um, but everybody knows we're old. Yeah, she was four. Thanks, Chris. Doug calls that change in your pocket. I remember that. But yeah, so 24 years ago, they've met. They, they met outside of that again, but it was about 20-ish years that they haven't seen each other. And I, and I have a picture. I don't have it here, but we have a picture of them reuniting again. And it was just, it's kind of like one of those really amazing moments where you have this friend that you get to keep and that you get to be apart, but you still get to keep. And then when you come together, it's like nothing's ever happened. It's like we get to pick up and move on. So you can imagine what that, that kind of felt like, but it was like grander than that. We had like, they had 30,000 people coming um, to bring that ark back to Jerusalem. So the, the, there's two men that David kind of inscribed to take hold of the ark and, and make sure it gets to where it has to go. And there is Uzzah and Ahio. And they were in charge of transporting the ark. So they gathered the ark and placed it onto a cart to make the trip. So let's continue out of 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. And uh, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs, lyres, harps, tambourines, um, castanets, and cymbals. So all the instruments were out. They were celebrating. It was a party. And, they came, and when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put his hand up to the ark of God to take hold of it because the oxen stumbled, placed his hand on the ark. The party of fun and loud and exuberance was over. You can imagine what that party was like, though. It'd be kind of like if the Leafs ever won a cup again. It would be that kind of party. You're ready, but like, I think some of your jerseys still say Domi on it, like that old and, or, you know, come on, or putt van, like that, it's that old. You were waiting since then. But 
I, I say it because I'm a Bruins fan. I, I declare my, my hockey fandom to Bruins. You can boo me. It's okay. I still like them. Um, but it'd be that kind of party. You, well, who here has seen some of the stuff online of um, McDavid, uh, not McDavid, uh, McKinnon bringing in the cup in Halifax? It was like lined up down the streets and everybody's like cheering and they got it on a fire truck and oh, they had a pipe band coming in. Can you imagine us giving that much to God? Don't you find it funny we get more excited over the newest Marvel movie or a hockey game, yet we stay quiet before the Lord? It's almost like we're embarrassed. We are more likely to paint our faces, put on our hockey sweaters, dance, scream, cheer for our favorite hockey team than do anything foolish in front of the Lord or what we deem foolish. Because we don't want to look silly. We don't want to get embarrassed. So David and his people threw their pride out the window, shamelessly praised the Lord. However, their shameless praise came with a caution. We are to rejoice in the Lord while keeping reverence for him. You'll understand this caution in a moment. So let's keep reading out of verse 7. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzziah, and God struck down there because of his error. And he died beside the ark of God. And Uzziah was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzziah. And that place is called Perez Uzziah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? How can it come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom in all his household. So there was a few things to unpack about these verses. We see joy and we see tragedy in a matter of a couple sentences. You know, it's very hard to explain how we serve a loving, caring God when you read a verse like that. Because it doesn't fit in our fluffy pie-in-the-sky God that we want to present to people. In verse 7, we see the anger of the Lord was kindled. Does this confuse you? Does this make you angry? Or maybe you just gloss over it because it's not the feelings you want. I don't want those feelings. After all, Uzziah was only trying to help because he didn't want the ark to fall off because, you know, it was on the cart and, and, and they stumbled, and so he, he should be getting a good attaboy, right? Like he didn't let the cart fall, or the, the ark fall. Why should God be angry? We see David was angry. 
David was angry at God for striking down Uzzah. Fear of the ark has risen again. David want, wanted to store the ark in the house of Obed-Edom. Because doesn't this sound like what happened 20 years prior when the Philistines decided to bring it back and slapped it on a cart and to put two cows on it and then they decided to look at the ark and what happened? 70 of them died. Well, now something similar is happening. Do you think they learned from their lessons? It's a complicated story to digest. But honestly, a story like this only solidifies the validity and the trustworthiness of the Bible. Think about it. If you wanted people to really like God, wouldn't you leave that story out? God's so angry that he smited one of his own. That's not a very, like good story to be sharing people if you want them to understand God's love. We want God to be this lovable, caring, huggable teddy bear. You know, like those big ones from Costco that you get to just wrap your arms around and they wrap their arms around you and it's like six feet tall. It's like, oh, that kind of teddy bear. You think they would leave that part out if they were trying to make up God? Or this was fake. I know I wouldn't put it in. That's not very marketable. So what happened there? Why did God lash out? If you remember back when we first introduced the ark, and we're talking about the ark, when Moses gave precise instructions on how to care and transport the ark, they were told to cover the ark, how to carry it. The ark was never meant to be placed on a cart. In the book of Numbers, we can find instructions saying, don't touch the ark. Don't look at it. No cart. Like, pretty simple. It actually says only the Levites could carry the ark using the attached golden rods. It was not God's intention to kill Uzzah, but they had a warning and a previous example to follow. It's like, you're, here, here's your warning. Oh, you didn't take the warning. Well, here's what happened. Okay, now do it again. Oh, you didn't listen to that, and you didn't pay attention to that. It's kind of like being a parent. When you tell your kids, wear your helmet while you're riding your bike. That you tell them all the reasons why. You give them examples. And then they go out. What happens? They don't wear their helmet, they trash their bike, and they're all scraped up, and they have bruises on them. So, we've learned from that lesson. Yes. Bruises heal. Scrapes heal. Time passes. And then they do it again. It, it's a it's simple reminder, but it's, it's kind of like God being your father, and it's like, I told you guys. I warned you guys. You did it anyway. Okay, now remember, don't do it again. Time passes. Wounds heal. You do it again. This incident was a dramatic reminder to David of God's holiness and the necessity of approaching God in accordance to his revealed instructions. 
This warning provided David with the time that he needed to refocus. David still needed to rejoice in God, but it was essential to add reverence for God. Some of us get caught up in the feels of, oh, I have this feeling, so it must be God. And we forget to look at God's direction and what we're supposed to do because it's, it doesn't match our feelings. I, I, I felt I was doing the right thing, but that's not what God told you to do. I thought God wanted me to do this. Yeah, but did he really? Did you read that? Did you see that in his word? No. Okay, let's start again. When we seek God and read scripture, it's supposed to draw us into this mix of rejoicing and reverence for God. Unfortunately, when we add the term reverence, we tend to mix the idea of fear into that. I know it does say fear in the, in the gospel, but I, uh, it, it's like our worldly mind that we think, I can no longer do these things because I'm afraid. But it's more, of, more than that. It's more complex than that. Reverence is more complex than just straight being scared. Because fear will alienate us from God. The feeling that we'll, it, we'll never meet up or measure up to his standards. We'll never be able to do these things. I, I may as well not even try. It's like having that overstrict or harsh parent that we fear them and we can't wait to get out from underneath their roof. But reverence, reverence for our parents would be more like we've learned from them. We understand the rules. They directed us. And we're still drawn near to them out of their love. So now that David had this cool-down period, which didn't last as long as the other times, only three months, he went to Obed-Edom's house. But while the ark was at Obed-Edom's house, he was experiencing immense blessings. Didn't really say what the blessings were, but in the scripture it said he has been experiencing blessings. So it was God's every intention to bless and not destroy. It was his every intention to bless his people with the ark and not destroy them. So let's keep reading out of verse 12. And, and it says, and it was told to King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Eden and all that belongs to him because the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Eden to the city of David with rejoicing. So we see David going back for the ark, still rejoicing, still bringing it to Jerusalem, but we're going to see some slight differences than the last time. First, we know that they didn't place the ark on a cart. Instead, they started to carry it. So let's continue into verse 13. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed the ox and, and a flat, uh, fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord. He danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a um, lined ephod, ephod, 
So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sounds of a horn. He danced. He danced with all of his might. I can only imagine what that looks like, and I am not the person about to do that. But you can imagine having zero regard and just saying, I am not worried about the people who are around me. I am worried about the one who is in front of me. And I, my eyes are just solely on you. God, my eyes are just solely on you. And I give it all to you. Everything I have to you. We clearly see that in verse 13. That they're carrying the ark in order as they were ordered. But you can't miss the joy that's dripping out of this verse, out of this chapter, just dripping, it's oozing out. They were shouting, they were blasting horns, they were dancing with all their might that the ark was now in its permanent resting place in Jerusalem. You can take the last two points that I made to see the fullness of the Bible's truth. We see both points in this chapter how God wants us to understand his holiness and reverence and rejoice in his goodness. But then there's some who take what God has made good and try to improve it, try to add rules to it. We see this all the time, all in all kinds of church settings. We as church members at one point in time I mean, we weren't allowed to dance. That was a rule. This church, we were not allowed to dance. I mean, I don't know why. I don't know the exact reasonings. I mean, Steve and Keith could probably tell you why they were around in that time. But we just couldn't dance. It was a rule. Some of us tend to take God's rule or commandments and makes them something extra to fit in our own outlook and ideology. So we continue into verse 16 and we see Saul's daughter, um, Michal, deliberate and bel- uh, deliberately belittle David. Michal didn't care that the ark was in Jerusalem. She didn't celebrate with the others. Michal was more concerned with how David presented himself. So um, the, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. Let's just skip ahead to verse 20 on this one. And David returned to bless uh, his household. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar followers, shamelessly uncovering himself. And David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house 
to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. When we read that chapter, who changes their voice like I just did? I just, I just, I just get this really like, well, look at you, Mr. King, dancing in front of people. Mm-hmm. I see what you're doing. I just change it in my brain to that. Like it's, and it's like, I just don't like you. Maybe that's how it was supposed to be presented. And maybe I did it justice. I don't know. We'll never know until we get to heaven. Michal presented herself in this passage as, as ridiculing David and belittling him. Michal was one of the more concerned with how David should present himself as being king, royal, dignity, proper decorum, with an outward appearance, very brash and debonair. Michael, uh, Michal believed a king should have a specific image and shouldn't belittle himself and stoop to dancing with common people like slave girls. You shouldn't be around those people. You're a king. Don't go with those people. You're important. How often do we get caught up in how things should look, how services should be laid out? All right, we need our three songs at the beginning. Then we need our offering time. We need announcement time. No, no, we got to switch that around. Okay, so we got an announcement time. We got offering time. Then we got a message. And that's how it's supposed to be forever and ever. Don't change it. Who do you think you are changing the tempo of that hymn? I can't believe you. That is a real comment that happened to a real person that I do know. How dare you? Who do you think you are changing the tempo of that hymn? Um, I thought it sounded better. Like, that, that pastor should always have a button-up shirt and creased pants or a suit and tie. We're adding extras because we're supposed to look, we're supposed to behave, we're supposed to do things a certain way, right? But we're adding extras to God and his commandments. We're adding things more than we should. We're creating a God in our brain to fit our ideologies. David wasn't concerned about the audience of people. He was, again, concerned for the audience of one. The one Yahweh. David was not performing. He was worshiping. That's what's important. Ask yourself, when we uh, are paying honor and respect to God, are we concerning ourselves with the things of this world? Are we concerning ourselves with the things of God or Yahweh? David sees himself less as Israel's king, but more as God's servant. I have a a commentary uh, that says it this way. For David... Humility is dignity. To him, there is nothing subservient about worshiping before God. So I want to close with this. And then we're going to get ready to go to a baptism. 
Where do you see yourself? Do you see yourself ignoring God's commands for your life, removing what he has placed good and holy, only to place it with your image of how God should look and feel and act? Or do you find yourself so tied up in the extras, the externals of God's reverence that you uh, concern yourself with decorum and outward appearance and forget about your joy for the Lord? Do you forget your joy for the Lord because you're worried about what people think or look or act? Like I said earlier, we can become more passionate, knowledgeable, and focused on a game or whatever is your point of interest, but we we can't seem to drum up the same for the creator of our universe. W.G. Blakey has penned it this way. There are doubtless times to be calm and times to be enthusiastic. But, it, but can it be right, right to give all of our coldness to Christ and all of our enthusiasm to the world? Can it be right to give all of our coldness to Christ and to all of our enthusiasm to the world? No. Does the presence of God ever move us? So dance, sing, clap, play an instrument, pray, remember, you are doing it all for the creator of the universe. You stand with me, we're going to pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your joy. We thank you for the joy that you bring us. The breath you give us. You allow us to not be fearful in your presence. Do not be fearful of this world, but allow us to have peace. Allow us to have joy. Allow us to have reverence, Father, for you. And Father, we just thank you that you've given us these these examples and your servants, Father, so that we we may have joy and reverence for you. So Father, I just, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that dwells in us. Father, may, may we leave here today just changed, allowing us to just have less worry about what we look like and more about what you look like, God, and how we look like for you and how we choose to worship you and how we choose to celebrate you. Father, as we celebrate these these nine individuals being baptized, God, we pray that their focus never wavers from you, that their joy always is in you. Father, we thank you 
for your spirit. Father, we thank you for your son who came here so we may have joy. We may have life everlasting with you in heaven. And Father, we just thank you in these things, we pray. Amen.